BAFTA creates platforms for open debate, and so the views expressed in this programme are only those of the contributors. Hello, I'm Dave Green, and welcome to another BAFTA podcast. Today we'll be asking our BAFTA event producers to name their highlights of the past 12 months of lectures and debates at BAFTA. 2012 has seen another sell-out BAFTA and BFI screenwriters lecture series, dozens of new videos and podcasts on our ever-growing BAFTA Guru website, and visits from Spanish author Pedro Almodovar, Japanese games legend Hideo Kojima, top TV and film actor John Hamm, and loads more. So, if you're seeking inspiration or need some advice on making TV, films or games, you've come to the right place. And with me in the studio now is Tim Hunter, a young sorcerer who first appeared in the Books of Magic, <laughs> Volume 1, which was created by Neil Gaiman and John Bolton. Or have we got the wrong page off Wikipedia? You've got what? the wrong one. Oh. There are several famous Tim Hunters. But you're, 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 you're the most skilled. I, like, I, you're the least fictional. <laughs> I am just one of the gang, though. Tim, Tim what's, what's the best way to describe your role at BAFTA? Well, my job title is Head of Learning and Events, uh, so I oversee the whole of the learning programme, which is a year-round programme of live events, but also online learning. What are you looking for in a BAFTA event? Um, well, BAFTA events and our online learning is really about creating platforms for our uh, BAFTA winners and nominees and BAFTA members to share their expertise with different public audiences. So it's really about uh, BAFTA sort of taking the role of facilitating that exchange of inf- information uh, within film, TV, and games. They're kind of they're all quite unstructured and not very formalised industries. So it's really our role to kind of lubricate that kind of. Uh, exchange of information. So that's a mar- marvelous image. Sounds very creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and in terms of content, do you how, what, what do you tell people to, to, to talk about, or does that depend on the kind of the event? You know, the BAFTA program, it's, it's never going to be, a, it's not a training program and it's not kind of, we're not, we would never speak with one voice because BAFTA is a membership organisation, we're made up of 6,500 members. So it's really, you know, it's, it's multi-voiced, it's kind of people talking about their own experiences and we would never say this is the way to get into editing, but, you know, we'd say this is one way of getting into editing, this is one way of doing, you know, exemplary editing. It's, 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 it's very much about getting different perspectives. Oh, and just just one more thing before before we get to the clips of, uh, of, of some of those highlights. So, why why does BAFTA do this? Um, it's part of our our mission is to uh, oh my god, what is our mission? It's uh, champion and support and promote excellence within film, TV, and games. So, uh, the most obvious manifestation of that is is the awards. Um, but you know, it's also about us kind of making sure that the that we have an industry in this country that has the uh, the right skills and talent uh, available to to produce excellent content and and hopefully to win more awards in the future. Well, exactly. You were otherwise. You, who would you give them to? Though? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Very boring <laughs> ceremony. Thanks, Tim. So the plan is to divide up all of BAFTA's many events by the uh, relevant sector. And as you know, Tim, we cover film, t- uh, games, and television. So we're going to start with television. And uh, in the studio before us is the BAFTA roulette wheel of producers with all of the va- various events experts uh, on hand to talk. So we're going to see who's going to uh, go first by giving it a spin. Oh, and, it, it, and it's landed on Cam Camdola, whose speciality is television. TV. That's very, very TV convenient. Yeah. So, don't forget, all the events we're playing clips from today are available in full at BAFTA Guru. But now, over to Cam. Hello, I'm Cam Condola. I'm a television events producer at BAFTA. And I produce events like Masterclass with the composer of Doctor Who. Theatre's exactly like film in that you have, you have one play's worth of, of, of entries to make your point and you, then you go home. You don't, it's not like Doctor Who where 
nine episodes later, you suddenly realise you could have done something really clever with that melody. It's like everyone left about 15 weeks ago, by the way. <laughs> to a panel discussion about the future of comedy. One of my favourite events from 2012 was the BAFTA interview with Mad Men's John Hamm. You'll know John as Don Draper in the very brilliant Mad Men, written by Matthew Weiner. He joined us and Joe Wiley in conversation about his work in acting last February. In this clip, John Hamm tells us one of the most difficult parts of being Don Draper. Which scenes have you found most gruelling? Which of the bits that have really, really taken it out of you? Um, the emotional stuff is, is hard. Um, the, 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 the salesman stuff is, is a lot of words and a lot of kind of getting, getting things, getting a lot of information across very quickly and very confidently. But the, the emotional stuff is, is, is difficult because it's difficult. Um, uh, it's hard to go to that place and be, and be that person uh, often. And not just the sort of weepy crybaby. Uh, the, the, the angry stuff, too, is, is hard to do. Mm. Is there any, is uh, especially the when you're out? staring at Elizabeth's face, who looks like, talk about a hurt puppy, um, and you're berating this poor person, um, who is a very good friend of mine and who I like very much. Uh, so it's hard to, to get to those places of, of sort of deep... Uh, seated emotion, um, but it's I think what enriches the ex- ex- enriches the experience. I'm not suggesting that what I do is uh, physically. I'm not a lead miner. Um, it's not like uh, it's not like the world's hardest job, uh, but it but it does take a, a lot of kind of mental focus for an extended period of time. That's John Hamm there being interviewed by Joe Wiley at the Curzon in Mayfair. And the, the full video can be watched on BAFTA Guru now. Did, did you go along to that one, too? I did indeed, yes. Oh. Um, we had a very beautiful set at the uh, Curzon Mayfair, so the whole video looks, looks rather gorgeous. And, and uh, did, does John also discuss his film work? Because he's like, I mean, th- there's not very much of him in, um, in Bridesmaids. But he's, he's, he's very good in The Town, the Ben Affleck uh, bank robbery film. Have you seen that one? I have seen that. I don't remember him in it at all. I, do you know what? I don't remember whether he talked about a film. He did talk about directing because he just started directing some of the uh, later episodes of, of Mad Men at that point. Do you get good audience uh, questions at those sorts of things? Well, once, once I went to a Being Human-like uh, cast panel and there were a few questions, you know, saying, oh, who would, who would you most like to marry out of, <clears throat> out of the rest of the cast? And would you like yeah. to marry me? And that kind of thing. I imagine John Hamm has a way of dealing with that, but... Well, we did have quite an interesting question at that event. Um, uh, a woman actually just asked him to say her name, uh, <laughs> which he did with with uh, very good grace. So, um, yeah, you have a range of questions, and you know that's what that's part of the beauty of, of taking questions from an, an audience. You never know what you're going to get. But I mean, again, you know, it's one of the beauties of, of BAFTA events is that kind of we have a, a fair proportion of the audience is, is industry. It's going to be drawn from BAFTA membership, so you've got a quite quite a knowledgeable crowd who will will. Uh, usually can be depended on to ask quite informed uh, and probing questions. That's that's an excellent point. I, once I, I went to a Joss Whedon. This wasn't a BAFTA event. It was no. just a Joss Whedon Q and A. It's just a queue of people just just saying, "Oh, thanks, Joss. Thank, thank you for your programs." <laughs> must there have you been go. Is there a question? No, no. I just sort of get that. <laughs> how, how revealing. <laughs> Sometimes people were hyperventilating so much they couldn't even get that out. That's, <laughs> oh. Anyway, so next up on our roulette wheel of producers, let's uh, fate vous jeurs, ladies and gentlemen that's French what? that's what they say in, in James Bond films and stuff roll the wheel oh and it's uh, it's Casey Campbell who looks after the uh, the batter events uh, around the country and now it seems around the world 
My favourite event in 2012 was the Jenny Connor BAFTA Rockcliffe New Writing Forum at the New York TV Festival. Jenny Connor is the showrunner on Lena Dunham's Girls, which is HBO's big hit. It's a brilliant show, and we did the event in October in 2012. In television, um, writers are king, and the directors are guests on your set. And if you're the executive producer and showrunner, or the creative voice behind it, you get all the say. You tell the, behave- the directors how to behave. And I mean, not how to behave. That sounds <laughs> terrible. Um, but you're in control of it. And uh, in movies, it's the opposite. It's directors are in charge. And it's the directorial uh, voice. So for writers, television can be a really rewarding place. The event was really special. We flew over three writers to attend the festival and Jenny gave them live development advice on their projects on stage as well as giving them insights from her career on the craft of writing. Okay, Jenny, I'm just going to pass straight over to you. Um, Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's great. Uh, My favourite thing about it um, was how quickly and without expositions you showed all the characters. They had incredibly specific voices without exposition, without like, well, I was 72, and uh, you know, it was really seamless, and that is no small feat. That is really one of the hardest things to do, and the fact that three minutes in, we know who every character is by one line of dialogue is really impressive, you guys. So we heard this, I think it's folklore, the, the first episode of Friends, where um, I think uh, Monica comes in and says, I've got a date, and every cast member delivers one line, yes. and after that you know who those characters are, yeah. so we really we we tried to track them. We, yeah. Well, yeah. you did an excellent job at that, really, and that is a very big deal. So my first question is, what is the series? Because to me, when I watch this, these women going on a road trip, that doesn't feel like what the series is. That feels like an independent film or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what would, how do you guys see the series? We've been asked this question a lot. And for us, it's about the relationships between the, these women. And what we did with the, uh, with the journeys, just to get, to get them to a place of, of emancipation. They are now free women. They're not defined by the roles of, of mother or, or wives. And... It's what, you know, sort of be careful what you wish for. Now they have to live those lives. And it, the stories are really endless because it's a series about relationships between older women. But do they, are they in, on this trip the whole time? No, no. No, no, no. They, okay. um, so there's their friend who's died, Lily, has requested that her ashes be scattered in her three favourite locations. Yeah. So there's about four episodes in total while, while they're on the road. Um, but the majority of the first and final episode take place in their, in their village. Uh, certainly the, the final episode is the aftermath. I think, I mean, to me, when you watch television, it's very difficult to transition from, say, like, how many episodes would you write of this, six? It's six. Six, six. six. okay. So to have, like, three of them be on the road and mm. the others not, I think would feel strange. Mm. You could do that, I mean, you could do five episodes and then the return home, mm-hmm. which I think would feel really organic. And yeah. I just think you have so little time to sort of explain what a show is. Yeah, yeah. Like imagine if Friends left the coffee shop the second episode yeah. and we never went back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they all moved to Canada. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Studio 60 on their third app went did exactly that and it was right. it was a bit of a, it was a bit jarring but it's definitely a note we've had and something we will we need to think about because we're using it as a device to get to that point yeah. of emancipation and if we can do that in a precinct 
probably all the better. Right. We quite like um, throwing them into crazy situations. Yeah. Well, I like it too. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, mm. why not do it for five? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know that she has five places. Yeah. That yeah. that it actually was five, and we scaled it down. <laughs> you did. Maybe we got scared. Right. <laughs> so that's uh, Jenny Connor, who's the uh, exec producer and showrunner on Girls on on HBO, which is uh, going to start again in uh, on, on Sky Atlantic. Um, and she was speaking to Kaylee Llewellyn and Matthew Barry. Now, podcast listeners will note that um, Kaylee was in our second program uh, talking about comedy writing. And uh, t- so, Tim, have, have you have you been following her career since since she was part of that? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the most uh, rewarding things about this session of, of Rockcliffe is that um, all of the writers that that were lucky enough to win that that prize to go over to New York, they've all been uh, they've all made really you know, valuable connections and kind of they've gone on to to, to really great things you know there's kind of good things in the pipeline for all of them and uh, yeah and uh, and uh, and Kay- Kaylee and Matthew's uh, script has uh, apparently been uh, optioned by company pictures and is in development at BBC One so so look out for that and you mentioned Rockcliffe there and again this is one of the exciting things about BAFTA is that everyone will go oh have you heard about Rockcliffe this year well, what's going on with we've, we've got lots of literally envelopes turn up on a weekly basis stuff with scripts with Rockcliffe written on them and I have like for, for many many months I had no idea what that meant but, uh, can, can you can you give us a, a, a little outline of, of, of what it involves well it's a new writing forum so uh, we do an open call for submissions and then a panel selects three scripts uh, so it has to be new writing um, and then uh, extracts from that script are performed by a group of actors on stage in front of a live audience um, and we have an industry chair who gives their feedback and then the audience also gets to kind of ask questions and, and give their opinions or notes on, on how it might, might develop so it's kind of it's doing that kind of script development process, staging that, you know, on a public stage so that you can kind of see how it happens and you, you get real insights. Like, I mean, I know you heard there from, from Jenny, kind of her perspective on, you know, the, the idea about kind of getting your characters established in the first three minutes. And, you know, you just get kind of a real both business and creative perspective on, on new writing. And you also get to see, for the writers, you know, they get to see it performed which I think is a real... Because there's real actors on the stage. There are real, that, genuine, that, that, that's, again, and live that's, that, actors. That's quite a fun thing to come and see at BAFTA or, or any, any of these other, uh, like, uh, venues, is that, yeah, like, you go, oh, wow, yeah, like, I, I do get a bit of a sense of what this would be like as a TV show now. Yeah, so. and uh, all the writers say that's really useful for them to, to actually see it, see it performed. And is Rockcliffe... Is it only for comedy? Or like, I mean, we, we seem to do quite a lot of comedy events. Are they, are they very popular? Comedy events are always popular. Um, any writing event is always popular as well. But um, Rockcliffe specifically covers all genres within uh, film and TV. We've never strayed into games as yet. We could although... have, yeah, people acting out. An iOS game. <laughs> um, which might be fun. It might not. Uh, lately we have been sort of focusing on particular genres so the one in New York is at the New York TV Festival so it's a TV session and it, we just settled on comedy because there was so much kind of interest in, in UK comedy from, from the US at that, um, at that point So the Big Questions interview with Jenny is on BAFTA Guru, YouTube and iTunes and the full New York TV live event video will be coming soon That's about it for TV now Let's move on to film Time to give our big wheel a spin. I'm, 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 I'm getting very excited about this. I've got some money on who it could, could, be, could, could be coming up next. Any thoughts, Tim? No. Oh, oh, oh! It's, it's, oh! It's, it's kind of in between two, two slots. It's strange there's only four or five slots in this entire roulette wheel, but it, it is Trisha Tuttle. Let's hear from Trisha about what she does. 
Hi, my name's Trisha Tuttle and I'm an event producer here at BAFTA. I work on lots of the uh, bigger film events that we produce. For example, I work on the film tribute, some of our debate strands around major issues in the film industry, and also one of the biggest events that I work on and that I look forward to most every year is the annual David Lean Lecture. This is our annual film lecture, and it's always with a major director, somebody who's proved themselves over a body of work. And we've worked with directors such as Errol Morris, Woody Allen, Peter Weir, and this year we had Pedro Almodovar. Thank you. Thank you very much. He talked specifically in this clip that we're going to hear about how much he loves John Cassavetes and John Cassavetes' film Opening Night. I mean, I was very shocked in the best sense when I saw Opening Night. I remember it was in Paris, uh, in a small uh, theater of, I mean, uh, theater, or repertoire. It was 92, and in that moment I, uh, I was quite hot in France uh, because the releasing of um, High Heels was a big success. And, uh, and someone in the, I was trying to get, get the ticket, and they invite me. I mean, the, the manager of the theater invited me, yes, uh, to see the movie. And, I, and, I, and when I went out, I was so impressed that during, I don't know how, like eight years, this movie se introducía por las rendijas de los guiones que escribí en la década de los 90. So every screenplay that I wrote during the 90s, this film would just make a presence in that screenplay. Eh, no debía hacerla porque ya la había hecho John Cassavetes y muy bien. Eh, I knew pero, I didn't want to make it again because John Cassavetes had already made it and made it very well. Pero, pero por fin encontró un hueco eh, donde mostrar toda su influencia eh, que fue en, en All About My Mother. So I then found a, a hole where I could actually show its influence on me and that hole, that little corner was in All About My Mother. And um, uh, when I mention, when I introduce uh, in my movies, part of other movies, I don't do it in, the, in the, like making a tribute to the author, even, I mean, John Cassavit absolutely deserves it, but like an organic part of the script. Because, I mean, I talk about everything. Everything is one experience for me. Everything that I read, that I listen, uh, things that I'm frightened, or something that I, that I dream of, or things that I love, or things that horrified me, and the books that I read, and of course the movie that I see. And once I see one movie, it is part of my experience. I mean, part of my organism. Uh, so they are part, very active, of my script. I mean, a tribute, a no más, is something passive. I, I use them. ¿Cómo se diría? Yo me aprovecho de ellos. I make de los directores them. De I los appropriate them. I make them my own. Sí, eso es tan, tan grosero como lo que he dicho en español. Okay. <laughs> Says, is it quite as disgusting as what I've said in English? <laughs> I'm no, here to make you look elegant. Appropriate is quite, it's quite mean. So that's uh, Pedro uh, Almodovar there um, giving the David Lean lecture, uh, which is effectively the uh, annual film lecture. And, and he's, so he's talking some of it in English, and then he had a translator there who obviously yes, you can hear. Maria Delgado, who is amazing. 
that was one of the events where kind of the, the the production of it was just so so beautiful and seamless. It, it, it almost you know risked eclipsing the actual content of the event. But uh, yeah, she's she's fantastic. Oh, of all the kind of events outside the awards, these are probably the highest pro- uh, profile uh, BAFTA events that we do. Yeah, that's probably uh, fair to say. Maybe the Life and Pictures strand is that's often quite public figures as well. Uh, but yeah, the the um, annual lectures in the different sectors are really an opportunity to sort of take stock of the kind of creative landscape, I suppose, within the different sectors and get somebody a leading creative to really talk about you know how they work and what their vision is for the future and where they you know see reason to be um, optimistic and. I guess for reasons to be pessimistic as well. And now we've also got the screenwriters lecture that again yeah. we've talked about on on, on podcasts yeah. and presumably that the plan is for that to become another annual fixture. Yeah, I mean we just finished our third year of those so they'll they'll continue um yeah and they are sort of September October time. Um but that's a real you know real chance to get an insight into the the role of the screenwriter in the creative process. And the and the Charlie Kaufman one like I'm it's I'm massive. told is is one of our most popular webcasts yeah. of of all of human history, <laughs> no, of BAFTAs in BAFTAs history, not that BAFTA has been doing <laughs> webcasts in its entire uh, the entire time it's been there. Um, anyway, but, but moving moving on, and like uh, we've got, uh, hand, hold on, film fans, place your bets. Here's another spin of the wheel. Oh, and it's Mario Canterbury. Hi, I'm Maria Canterbury, film programmer and producer at BAFTA. Besides all our amazing live events, we also film mini masterclasses from BAFTA nominees from film, television and video games. Um, in this next clip you're about to listen to, it's a super geek called Ben Grossman, who's a visual effects supervisor. Um, he's worked on amazing films such as Hugo and Shutter Island, and he is about to give you a little bit of inspiration and how to make it in the film world. What really excites me about my role in filmmaking is that I'm attracted to things that have never been done before or can't be done, and I just love that. And it doesn't have to be visually. It can be a scheduling thing. It's like, you can't do this fast enough. Really? Because that's the only thing I want to do now. And you can't do this cheap enough, or you can't make this look beautiful on this budget. Those are the challenges that I think I really like. It's, it's, um, it's what gets me up in the morning. Well, actually, it's what keeps me from going to sleep at all. <laughs> Life in Pictures is an on-stage talk with high-profile figures from the world of film. In 2012, we've had Dustin Hoffman, Anthony Hopkins, Billy Connolly, Tim Burton... And the clip you're about to hear is from an event we did with prolific director Ang Lee, who talks about phallic symbols and swords from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and also why his foray into Hollywood with Hulk was a little bit of a disaster. Enjoy. It's also my dream to see two ladies fight over over a phallic symbol. (laughs) It's all about the repressed sex, sexual yeah, yeah, repression. It's, it's all about thousands of years of culture repression. But, but working with working, which is called uh, Green Destiny. Green Destiny, yeah. indeed. Yeah, the, that's the hidden dragon. <laughs> Not so hidden now. Um, but that kind of psychological approach to an action film, of course, then you applied also. I mean, not in the same way, but in, in a comparable way to the Hulk. And the Hulk did not do well at all. I mean, why do you think? 
I think the American industry is too huge for me to take on, for, for that matter, <laughs> mm-hmm. for, to twist her. Uh, um, you mean that the expectations were so conventional in terms yeah, of... Uh, the, yeah. You know, people ask me what I made of um, you know, Avenger. There's a Hulk in there. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing that movie, I thought maybe I gave too much thought on that character. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't use uh, genre. Unfortunately, the year before us, there's a Spider-Man. There was a genre from comic book. It's a cultural phenomenon. I, I treat it like a, a, a psychodrama. That, that's the and horror film, and a little bit of a science fiction. That's the genre I took on. And not, you cast comic Eric book. Banner, who's a you know very <coughs> an actor who's very I, I good at those I gave too much dark. thought. I, I think that's right. the essence of the Hulk, but it mm-hmm. didn't seems like anybody care. Mm-hmm. So when when you don't care, that that CG work doesn't doesn't hold up. So that's Ang Lee uh, there talking to Francine Stock, who's the regular host of our Life in Pictures strand. So Tim, I mean, he's, he's being very honest there about what he, like, you know, what, what first of all, what he was trying to do in Crouching Target, Hidden Dragon, and then, you know, what he perceived to be, mm-hmm. well, uh, what happened with the uh, with that first Hulk film. I mean, and and uh, again, there was the, there was an, an, an entire roster of, of people who've been in uh, the, these, these Life in Pictures Presentations um, are, are, are they, are like did are, are they often as revealing as or as honest? Do they feel it's a, a format where they where they can bear bear their soul? Yeah, I'd like to like to think so. I think that certainly from my perspective, I feel like they they are a bit more open in front of a BAFTA audience. I mean, the, the audience, as I say, is made up of of BAFTA members, and it's also open to the public, so anyone can come along. But because it's in that setting and within that kind of context, I think people do feel like they're talking to their peers, and that therefore they are often a little bit more open than you might see in other places. That's certainly my sense. Any other dirt from any other life in pictures <laughs> that, that you'd like you'd like to repeat now? <laughs> people, or, or should people search them out for themselves in the archives? Well, I remember the, uh, the Brian Cox life in pictures. He was Brian, Brian Cox, the original Hannibal Lecter. The original Hi- not, Hannibal not, Lecter. Not, not, the, not, not the physicist off the telly, not right? Yeah, in from D Ream. No, uh, yeah, he was he was quite candid, as I remember. And he's um he's, he's in one of the Bourne films, isn't he? He's, he's, I mean, be, people, yeah. will know who, people will know who Brian, Brian Cox is. And uh, well, actually, and, and again, of of last year's one, uh, this isn't this isn't necessarily being someone being excessively honest. But there's a, there's a Ray Fiennes one where he talks about working with di- with different directors. And I, clearly, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but he say, he says something along the lines of you know Steve, Steven Spielberg will just keep making you do takes just to see just to see what you come up mm-hmm. with. And I get my and the, on the other end of that spectrum, my impression was David Cronenberg. As long as there were two takes where everyone did kind of the right thing, like you, you could get you could get on with your day. <laughs> anyway, so now on to the 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 third of the uh, visual arts that BAFTA takes a special interest in. What could it be? It's a very clever wheel that knows what we have already selected. I don't know how it's doing that, but thank goodness. Oh, and it's the only name left. It's Rob Jones. My name is Rob Jones. I work on the Games Awards. I've also worked on a couple of our Games events in 2012. My favourite event was the Games Question Time series of events. These uh, were much like the famous political television show Question Time, but focused on games involving a panel of members of the games industry. Uh, fielding audience questions and we took these uh, all around the country we had them in Sheffield, we had them up in Scotland and we had several here at our headquarters 
in London, uh, touching on a lot of important issues that affect the industry and leading to some very interesting debate, as we shall see. Actually, we shouldn't really talk about anymore whether a game is like whatever, $29.99 or $9.99 or $2.99. It's actually whether it costs money or it's free. And there's pretty compelling evidence now that actually free is the winning business model. Oh, that's nonsense. <laughs> but I mean, it might be winning for you, but you know, I mean, some games you can't put out free. You can't make Halo 4 and the amount of man hours you and can. the amount of time there, but you can't put that out you free can. seriously. You can. I mean, they're good examples. If you look at um, League of Legends, for example, that probably has a similar yeah, but that's a, I've played that game. It's a horrible game because the first minute you play it, you get adverts popping up saying, hey, you want to come to our store? And you think, no, I've got... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I forgot we're streaming this. You know what I mean? I mean, you could do, but why would you want to... I mean, I know that's a huge market and you've done well with Horsey Horsey, but I mean, if you want to play... <laughs> Also, for $1,000, you could buy your own horse. Why are these people spending $1,000 <laughs> buying hats for a virtual horse? They could have a stable. So my choice of clip is from the very first of our Games Question Time events. It was held at our headquarters here in London at the start of the year. And uh, in this clip, you'll hear a little bit of fractious debate between Joe Twist, who is the CEO of Yuki, a video games organisation, and also Jason Kingsley, who is the CEO of a development studio called Rebellion, who have been producing games for several years now. And in this, they touch upon the issue of diversity in the games workforce in response to a question from the audience. Whether we like it or not, the games industry is not very diverse in terms of its... Uh the people who work on games and make games at the moment. And we need to neither represent... Neither is nursing. Well, neither is you know, nursing. Yeah, there's but, so but many different... I'm I mean, representing the games industry, not the nursing profession. You know, and I think you know, it's the same in any yeah, but you're criticising an industry for not being diverse on the I'm basis that... I'm not criticising that... it. I'm, I'm sort of just merely stating a fact that okay. if we want to encourage um, uh, diversity in the, in, in the kinds of games that are produced, we need people from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different experiences... And, you How know, so? if you get a groom... Well, it's just... Why, a, is that, why is that a given? Shouldn't it be just good games that yeah, get made? absolutely. It should be good games. And that's where the market decides what's a good game and what isn't. But, I mean, I suppose I'm just... Uh, having, having been in other parts of the media industry, it, you know, we know that when you, have a, when you have a diverse workforce making games that are played by a diverse population, then it, it, you've got a wider appeal and you have different types of products and different areas of innovation that possibly you haven't really thought about before, potentially. It's not, I'm not criticising in any way, but I think it's a fact that we can't ignore that computer programming should, needs to be back on the curriculum in order to inspire a whole new generation. But we also need to inspire, you know, lots of other people, um, girls, into computer programming. Well, on, on that point, Jason, you seem to, to disagree with. Uh, well, I think Joe. the watchword of I think the watchword of diversity is one of those politically correct sort of. Oh, if if the if, if it's more diverse, it's going to be better. And I don't think that necessarily those so two things are not necessarily. If you, get, if you get a workforce and you're all coming, you all agree with each other. You all come from the same uh, perspective. You all you've all come from the same kind of background, same school. You know you, that, that, that you're going to get diverse products created out of that workforce. I would disagree with the initial premise, which is that uh, diversity is necessarily a good thing to make good games. And the, the issue that is only the only issue is the fact that the games need to be good, and that lots of people yeah. who want to I make don't games think I can come into it. I actually said that it, it was a prerequisite to making good games. I just say it's a diversification of the kinds of products that are available to the market, which is the mainstream population of the UK, which is very diverse anyway. So it's different things that appeal to different kinds of people. 
So that's uh, Joe Twist from the uh, Games Trade Body Yuki and Jason Kingsley from Rebellion Software, who are, who are based in Oxford. And fascinating trivia. Well, they they made they made the first Alien vs Predator uh, video game, uh, I think, and an own 2008 AD, the um, the weekly science fiction comic. Oh. And before them, you heard a clip from uh, another Games Question Time with um, I think it was. Jonathan Ross talking to Torsten Ryle, who uh, who are uh, I think they're another Oxford-based company, but they make uh, they they made the recent uh, CSR Racing, which was claimed to have made something like twelve million dollars on the iPhone in it in its in its first month. And uh, what Jonathan Ross refers to as the horsey horsey game is just called My Horse, but it's a game where it's a game where you own a horse and you can upgrade various aspects of your of your horse owning experience and again it's proved proved, proved yeah. very very lucrative for them and we had uh, great uh, twitter contributions from jedward at that particular one. Oh, that, oh that, yeah that that was that was that of, of all the people who we weren't expecting yeah so like uh, these 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 <laughs> questions the, these these question times were were, <laughs> were streamed live yeah like mm-hmm. the people to, to to chip in particularly on the games as art debate mm-hmm. They, they they felt very strongly and wanted to know what the Mona Lisa of gaming might yeah. be. There's, there's, to, to find out, check out the full podcast YouTube. online. But yeah, I mean, those, those debates are really about sort of capitalising on BAFTA's position as a neutral body that kind of is overarching, you know, not only film, TV and games, but also everyone that works within them. And, you know, we have we aren't allied to any any particular distributor to any particular broadcaster or or games company you know we we have that kind of the luxury of being um at one remove from from everyone and kind of having good relationships with everyone across that kind of full spectrum so the idea behind the debates that we we put on is that BAFTA is a neutral uh, platform for hearing different perspectives on pressing issues and you could hear there that that particular issue is, is is a real sort of hot topic, and it's again something that's come up in our career pathways research, uh, where we surveyed two thousand young people about kind of where their aspirations lie and where they go for information about careers in the industry. Um, I think I'm getting these figures right, but eight um, percent of girls con- had considered working in uh, games, and thirty eight percent of boys had considered working in games. So you can kind of see that that. The the kind of barriers to entry into the games industry for for girls are kind of you know perhaps more systemic than they were being presented by I forget his name oh it's Jason yeah. well I mean it's a, but you, you see and clearly he's representing uh, a part of the games industry's view yes that to a certain extent you know the, what their focus is is getting games out the door yes but I think within any diversity debate the the, the it's quite often people take it as a kind of personal slur that is kind of saying you you are sexist or you are racist but I mean that's not the issue really I don't think for for anyone it's it's actually that there's other things that are putting people off those those industries. And, and uh, we're, we're likely to be looking more more at diversity, not not the not the, the dance, <laughs> not the dance group. group from enough of them. No, uh, we we are following on from career pathways. That's one of the strands that we're really following up with uh, all of our different partners. So more on that to follow. Well, that's good to know. Um, it was an action packed year for games, and you can you can find out more of, about some of the other people that we had uh, speaking on the subject, of course, uh, in the game section of BAFTA Guru. There's the there's the big questions format that we talked about. Mm-hmm. What, what are the three big questions, Tim? Remind me. They are uh, what film, TV, or game inspires you? M- most people pick Super Mario and get one <laughs> of the Super Mario games. But anyway, that's uh, yeah. Uh, uh, how what, did you get in? How did you get into the industry, and what advice would you give to somebody? So yeah, so, so so we, we we've got those with quite quite a lot of BAFTA nominees. It's quite a library of them. Yeah, uh, Dan, Dan, Mar- Dan Marshall, who won a uh, Children's of BAFTA for his Sex Education game, Privates, 
and uh, and and many many more. Nick Ryan, who was uh, who had two BAFTA nominations for his audio only game Nightjar, has some amazing advice that I'd never heard about how to approach people. About well, I mean, not not specific to his field of sound design, but just getting into all kinds of uh, in- industries where where you don't know how to approach people. So, Tim, we've just got time to answer a few questions, hopefully, that have come in via Facebook and Twitter and all our other social uh, media channels. My uh, adoring public. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, for you to answer in your professional capacity. Cat uh, Bile says, um, I absolutely love the masterclasses. Uh, they're super inspiring. She'd love more out of London because we are in Bath. So awareness of the masterclasses in our region is always very welcome. So... Well, like, are there any, any many uh, big strands we've got planned for outside London? Well, what an interesting, <laughs> interesting question. We have BAFTA Crew, which had launched launched uh, recently. Um, applications for that are open, which is a, a, a series of uh, regional masterclasses around uh, England. Um, sorry, by crew, do you do you already have to be working in in film or TV? You do. Or games yes, to- you have to have uh, two credits to your name, I believe. That's a program of masterclasses that will be taking place around the country. But that's in addition to all our usual screenings and uh, and other events. Often we'll do at festivals with, with yes. regional audiences. We often do work with regional partners such as festivals or regional venues. Bristol, we work with the Watershed quite a lot, so uh, she should tap into that. And, and those are all uh, open to the public, of course. We've had a couple of questions from Scotland. Uh, Linda King is wondering, what events do you have for youths to get involved with in Scotland? I mean, it's a shame we can't ask back and ask what, what age youths... She has in mind. I was going to suggest, like, if you've got something, Tim, you can think about it. I was going to say the Dare Protoplay uh, event that uh, we've been at uh, uh, takes place in August in Dundee is a massive games event uh, and uh, has a whole load of workshops and things for anyone interested in working in games, which is lots of people um, uh, across uh, a wide range of, of age groups. So that, that's what that's one to look out for yeah. in uh, usually mid-August, I think. And again, we've worked in partnership with festivals, so we work with the TV Festival in Edinburgh and the Edinburgh Film Festival, and we've done a couple of things um, with them for, for young people. We have a branch in Scotland, BAFTA Scotland, who also run their own events, so worth checking out. And Andrew Storm has reached us on the email. I don't know whether he's one of the, the, the Scottish contributions or not. Tim, which guest has surprised you the most with either great acting insights or funny stories? Now, my, my pick for the funny... Sorry, you were going to say something, weren't you? My pick for the funny <laughs> one... Trying to. The, the, the Julian Fellow screenwriter lecture is, is, is chock-a-block with, with, with hilarious anecdotes. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, you, if, if, if you like Downton Abbey and that kind of thing, mate, that, that, that should be first, first stop. Yeah, I mean, he's hugely entertaining. Um, I mean, all of those screenwriters' lectures were really insightful and, and entertaining. And moving, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes even moving. John Hamm, I think, was uh, probably, in terms of being surprising uh, as an actor, like he was very uh, self-aware and self-deprecating and kind of um, had a, a kind of very thoughtful kind of perspective on his work. He could quite easily have been a big ego, and he didn't come across like that at all. He was kind of, and you know, the whole kind of thing about him being a heartthrob and all of that. He was kind of uncomfortable with. So, well, it's fine to him for him to be uncomfortable. Poor him. (laughs) We should start some sort of collection. So that's it for this uh, special edition of the BAFTA podcast. Thanks to all of the guests: Katie Campbell, Cam Candola, Mario Cadaby, Rob Jones, Trisha Tuttle, and of course. Head of Learning and Events, Tim Hunter. It's been educational, Tim. Well, I couldn't, couldn't have hoped for any more. 
Don't forget, all the events we've discussed here are available at BAFTA.org slash guru, on soundcloud.com slash BAFTA, and on iTunes. You can get all the latest news and upcoming BAFTA events by signing up for our fortnightly newsletter on BAFTA.org, and of course, checking out our Twitter. If you've been inspired by any of the topics described in this podcast, or if you have any feedback, please get in touch at podcast at BAFTA.org. My name is still Dave Green, and John Maloney and Katie Campbell got the clips and the guests. The producer was Matt Hill. Now stop listening to podcasts and go and actually make that thing you're always going on about. Bye. Bye.